So in the last two talks, uh, the first one was entitled, I think, Is It Well With Your Soul? Sorry, darling, let me, are you okay with that? This is my wife, Fliss. Give Fliss a big round of a hand for <laughs> carrying that music stand so well. See, she did that very well, I thought. Did, did you think she did that well? She was just pretty good, I think. Okay, so the first one was, Is It Well With My Soul? Then uh, last week, uh, we talked about the dark night of the soul, uh, a kind of well-documented experience uh, of God, where God falls silent. And it's, uh, I wanted to just reassure people, it's not necessarily that you've sinned, it's, it's actually part of God working deep within us and calling us to go deeper and to grow in faith. And we talked about that. Those you can listen on the video cast, podcast or videocast today. I want to talk... I want to round this up, and um, this talk is called Eating Stones. Eating Stones. Quite a, that must be the title of a book or something that someone will write, but not me. Eating Stones. And it's taken from uh, a real-life experience. As many of you know, for many a long year now, we have worked in partnership with Pastor Samuel and Bethesda Mission in uh, India, and uh, one of the stories that haunts me was of uh, two young lads. I mean, they were babies and they're young teenagers now, but when I first met them, they were probably four years old, five years old, something like that. But they'd recently, at that point, come into the orphanage. And what had happened was, was that some villagers noticed that two little boys had been abandoned on the edge of their village. And they were... They weren't living on the dump, but they were living just basically in the street. And they were aged about three and a half and, and, uh, and five maybe, something like that. And the villagers kind of threw them scraps and stuff like that. Uh, nobody could take them on. And, they, and the villagers in the end were moved by their plight. So they came to Pastor Simon and his wife, Lysha, and said, there's these two young kids, their parents have abandoned them. Uh, can you take them in? So... Uh, Samuel went and they found them and they brought them back to the orphanage and uh, as is always the way, you know, Lysha would bathe them and put new clothes on them and then they would get them checked out medically. Well, they weren't really thriving so they, they had to investigate some more and it turned out that these two kids had been eating stones just to sort of fill their belly so that they couldn't, they didn't feel hunger pains and, you know, there were one or two other things in there which, um, you know, which, which should not be there. So, it was just a gut-wrenching for me, a gut-wrenching experience to, to meet these young lads who are now thriving and full of, you know, full of fun and mischief and all the rest of it, quite right. But to know that, these, that they'd been abandoned that young and, and they, they, in order to, that they had been eating anything, basically. So this story is called Eating Stones, and I tell that not just to move you and elicit a kind of a ooh, but actually... I want to tell you that Father God is like I was in that situation when he looks upon you and I. Because so often when it comes to the soul, we are eating stones. We're eating stones. We're, you know, there's a craving within us, and we've spoken about this in, in one of two of my previous talks. There is a craving in us, and yet we, we, we try and sate that desire by going to the wrong places and the wrong things. And for God, it's like, oh my gosh. Oh my, oh my. Because he, he is moved by compassion with our plight. We know this because he's sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come to rescue us. And how did he rescue us? He died upon the cross for us. 
that all the stuff that was preventing us from knowing him might be removed, the thing that we call sin. I'm going to talk about a little bit more about that in, in just a moment. But let's, let's start with a, a reading, which is God's, God's invitation. It's Isaiah 55. If you've got your Bibles with you or your smart devices, or indeed it will come up on the screen. And as I always say, as we always say, if you don't have a Bible, if you're new to this whole gig and would like a Bible, please just ask at the welcome desk. We'd be happy to give you one. So Isaiah 55, this is what God is saying. This is what God holds out to the nations. This is what God is holding out to you and to I, which is why I say he groans when we're eating stones. He says this, come all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your souls will delight in the richest affair. And I've inserted your souls there. It's in the King James Version, one of the other versions, but not this one. And your souls will delight in the richest affair. Give ear to me and come and listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations who you do not know will come running to you, because the Lord your God, the Holy One, has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to your God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the, the eater, so is my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but I will accomplish what I desire and achieve, every, uh, and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And this is God's vision for us. Stone eaters. God's vision for us is this. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of the briars or the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. What a wonderful passage, eh? Here we are. You want to clap? Let's clap, Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. You know, for the eater of stones, and I've certainly been one of them, this is an extraordinary invitation. And if you've come to church today feeling distant from God, that may be the dark night of the soul, and one or two of you have been kind enough to say thank you so much for that message last week. That's just where I'm at. But others of you, for whatever reason, circumstances, 
bad choices, etc., etc., you may be feeling distant from God. You may be unsure of how God is towards you. Well, hear that, that invitation. Come to me. Come to me. Jesus picks up the same theme, doesn't he? He says, come to me all who are, or, are, all are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So there we are, eating stones. So I, I want to just talk about four things uh, which the soul needs. Now, if you read that book, which I've been encouraging you to read over the holiday, the vacation period, if that's what you're going to be able to do, that book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeper, he gives eight, nine, ten, I can't remember, of things that the soul needs. I've picked a couple of those which I, I mean, they're all good, they're all good. But I wanted to just add my take to it, and, and there's a, but there's a couple there. But I've, I've chosen four, and uh, Felicity was asking me about my sermon last night, and I said, well, you just have to wait and see. And she, she doesn't sort of, that, irri- that, that didn't irritate you. It made you, that was a, a kind of an invitation to quiz me. So I said there were four things, and they were all beginning with F. I wish I hadn't said that, you know, because... So then she starts trying to guess, and about two, about two hours later, she's saying, it's, it, it, it's it, it, freedom. And I'm trying to watch the TV, and she's still trying to work these things out. <laughs> she got there in the end, but my goodness, you know, they all happen to begin with F, because after all, I am a preacher. So the first thing, the first thing that I want to say is the soul's need for forgiveness. Now, all of these things can be found in this passage. The soul's need for forgiveness. Verses 6 and 7, if you really want to read it out. But what I really want to talk about in this moment is not so much the, the experience of forgiveness, but I want to talk just for a moment about the, the, the nature of the forgiveness that God brings. The first of all, I, I just want to say this. In terms of a judicial sentence or the judicial experience. The first thing I want to say is that when God forgives us, it's not as if we get a suspended sentence. Now, you know what that means. You know, you can, you can be arrested, you can be charged, you can be found guilty. And the scripture says we've all been found guilty. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. It says, and many more places. We, we probably say, yeah, well, I know I'm guilty. Thanks, Chris. I feel guilty enough. I don't need you to heap it on me. What I want to say to you is, do you really understand what God has done for you and why this is good for the soul? You see, you can be arrested. You can be, uh, you know, go, uh, gone to trial. You can be judged, and a verdict can come out, and you may be said, found guilty, uh, two years suspended sentence. Now, what that means is, that if you misbehave or repeat the offense or do some other thing in the, in the following two years, then you will have that, that judgment taken into account and you're, you will end up in prison for longer. The forgiveness that God brings is not a suspended sentence. He's not saying, okay, found guilty, behave yourself and we'll talk about it later. That is not what God is saying. It is not that your sentence is commuted. That's another thing that can happen to you. You can, you know, you can go to prison 
And for some reason, maybe they just haven't got enough beds in the prison, they will commute your sentence. There's all sorts of ridiculous reasons, and some of them important reasons. But you can end up having less. It can be condensed. Now, that would, if you've been taught about purgatory, if that's how you grew up, saying that when you die, you will go to purgatory and do some time, and then at some point you will be pulled out of there and sent to heaven. Well, that might speak to you. Purgatory is not something you find in the scriptures. That is a device that the church has, has historically used to keep people, uh, to control people in my view. Purgatory is not a biblical concept. It is a, a very dubious doctrine of the church and I am not part of that and I will not have that. So, you know, the sentence then it's not a suspended sentence. It's not a sentence that is commuted. It's not even a royal pardon where God in his magnanimity, in his mercy, in his sovereignty says, yep, guilty, but I'm going to let you walk free. You know, if you've been caught, uh, I don't know, smuggling drugs in Thailand and suddenly face some awful, you know, zillion years in jail and suddenly you receive that, that hoped for royal pardon and you walk free you're still a drug dealer you will never be allowed back into that country but you walk free it's none of that it's none of that the soul needs forgiveness and what God does in that situation if you turn to Jesus if you, if you, if you pray in the best words that you can imagine and it may not sound very religious may not sound very holy it doesn't matter you cry out to God and say Lord God, please forgive me. And thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. When that happens, there is a beautiful exchange. God reaches down, and you are, and this is the scripture, not that purgatory thing, you are justified. Justifi justification is a legal term. It is just as if I'd never sinned. Not suspended sentence, not royal pardon, not annulment, not any, what, anything else that you might, legal term. You can. It is just as if I'd never sinned. You don't go through heaven, you know, you, you will not go through eternity wearing a, you know, um, a, a coat with great big sort of prisoner's arrows on it and a smile on your face because you didn't go to hell. You are justified. You are given white robes. You will be with the angels. You will be with Jesus. You will be embraced as a son, as a daughter. The soul needs that kind of forgiveness, not a heap load of guilt and shame. Somebody say amen. Thank you. Second thing, moving quickly on. The soul needs freedom. Freedom. What do I mean by that? Well, the reason I wanted to particularly talk about this is because I believe that we have a misconception about freedom. And actually, where our society is, and in some cases, the way we raise our kids we are heading into trouble as far as the gospel is concerned. Because our society understands freedom as choices as much as anything. 
You know, for those of us who are concerned about, you know, justice issues and the poor, it, it, it's, it's the lack of empowerment. And it's the, it's, the, it's the lack of not just of physical things, material things, but, but some people will never be able to drag themselves out of poverty because they, um, they, they have no power and they have no choice over their situations. They are politically oppressed or whatever. But there's another thing going on in our society, this, 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 this whole thing about being true to yourself. I tell you, as a pastor of some 40 years, the, the damage that had been done in families because one senior partner or another, the wife or the husband, has said, you know, and I've, I said this the other week, you know, uh, somebody has said, uh, I'm sorry, I need a divorce, uh, I'm, uh, you're too good for me, and I need to be true to myself. I need to be true to myself. I can't live this lie. If you've not experienced this, and I pray you haven't, you will have seen it on the television, this set of values. You will have seen this communicated. I'm a bit of a fan of a series called Billions. Has anybody watched that? Oh, nobody. Oh, there's some people up there. You're my kind of people. I'm glad you're in this church. Uh, in this series called Billions, which is a very convoluted kind of legal thing and, and business thing and all sorts of stuff going on, the district attorney, uh, who is a, a very aggressive, very savvy man uh, with the law on his side, but not again double dealing and underhand dealing, there's a point in the plot where he actually betrays his father. He has quite a dynamic relationship with his father. He betrays his father because of it, it's politically expedient for him. Uh, and and, and uh, he, he sets up a, a sting, as it were, where his own father is caught, where it becomes evident that his father has been uh, swindling money through dodgy dealings, and not only is he ruined, because there's a kind of a, a sale of stock involved in this, but he also faces a, uh, a prison sentence. Father and son. This is the son does this to the father. Why am I telling you all this? Well, the son, understandably, goes through some remorse. And a few days after this has all gone through... Late at night, there's a knock at the father's door, and the father goes and opens the door, and his son is standing there with tears in his eyes, and he says, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And the father is angry with it, as you'd expect, but what comes out of his mouth is astonishing. He says, don't ever apologize to me. Don't ever apologize to me. You did exactly as I taught you. You did what was true to yourself and to hell, excuse the language, excuse the language, and to hell with anybody else, even your own family. I am proud of you, son. Wow, that's, that's a scene I remember. I am proud of you. It's an elevation of this, what seems good to me is right. We've got to be true to yourselves. We're training our kids to live out their dreams. Don't let anybody deter you. This is the culture. Be your own person. 
And that's the kind of flexing of muscles we're seeing in our society. Now, what does the gospel say? Take up your cross and follow me. Deny yourself. As you've seen me wash your brother's feet, do likewise. No servant is above his master. No wonder there is a tension when families get saved and come into this church, and you may be some of them, because your school is, in, is encouraging your children to dream dreams. And we're saying, come be yourself, and you know, be true to yourself. And you come in here, and we talk about serving one another. You know, there's a, there, there is a culture clash of gargantuan proportions there. We need to be aware of this. What's the antidote? The antidote is to deny yourself and to teach your children some self-discipline. I am a grandfather. I have absolutely zero kind of ability to deny my grandkids anything. If you're a grandfather and have a similar problem, would you just raise your hand? Just don't let me stand in the way. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank God for that. But my own children, I, taught, I disciplined them and I taught them self-discipline. I hope I did it in an appropriate way. They're all following Jesus. A number of them are in the church, so thank God that I may have got it halfway right. But I say that to say this. Sometimes little sacrifices can really build up to character. That's why I think fasting is a good discipline. It's not something I do particularly well, but, or particularly often for that matter. But sometimes just biting your tongue and not having the last word can be a very powerful thing. Sometimes little acts of self-discipline, self-denial, go a long way to building character. Amen? Amen. Oh, thank you. But please see the problem. Our culture, and there's, you know, I want to say to my kids, yeah, you know, dream dreams and all the rest of it. But the truth of the matter is this. That's a, a very important part of our culture. And we must at least understand that in the church of Jesus Christ, we are called to take up our cross and follow him. Think on it. Thirdly, the soul needs a future. Well, there was a lovely passage in that. You will go out in joy. The soul needs a future. Again, our culture encourages us to live in the now. You know, but the scripture says God has put eternity in our hearts. That's how we are wired. You know, I said a couple of weeks ago, we're hot wired for God. The scripture says that God has put eternity in our hearts. But one of the problems in our, in our society today, as I see it, is that, uh, that for many people, they, they, they don't want to contemplate the future. They don't want to contemplate old age. They don't want to contemplate retirement. They don't want to uh, uh, contemplate you know, what it, life might be like in five years' time. 
For many people, sadly, again, the, the oppressed poor, and there's a growing number, we're seeing ever more people coming to our food bank, ever more complex problems. They have no choice anyway, and they have to live hand to mouth, paycheck to paycheck. But for many, for that, that's something, uh, what our culture is saying is live in the now. Live in the now. Take that loan. Get out that another credit card. Do this now. Do that. And our kids, we're seeing a reflection in ourselves. You know, they're, they're not interested. Some of them are not interested in education. Some of them are eschewing higher education. Some for good reasons. I was talking to somebody who, who's just graduated to come out of it with 55,000 pounds worth of debt. I mean, what a start to life. 55,000 pounds worth of debt. Is that right? Can anyone tell me, you know? Some of you are nodding, you know. I mean, I thought it was like 25, 30,000, but they laughed when I said that. They said 55. What are they doing? Living in a, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, whatever. I say that to say this. You know, uh, there's enormous pressure to live in the now. The person I am with now matters. The boy, the girl, the now is what's, what's attractive. Forget about the consequences. For better, for, you know, that's not how we are wired to live. When we live like that, we're eating stones. Because that's not how we are. God has put eternity in our hearts. It is right that we come before the Lord, that we reflect upon the past. We reflect upon who we are. And we give thanks to the future that God has in store for us. Finally, and somewhat obviously, I guess, the soul needs a father. Many have said that this is a fatherless generation we're raising. The number of fractured families, the number of heart-wrenching stories in this room now about the absence of one parent or the other. The soul needs a father. You know, the book of Genesis, we read in the story of the fall, how having disobeyed God, and it's, who was it? I think it was Mark or someone like that, when they were preaching, spoke about the Lord God walking in the cool of the evening, wanting to hang out with Adam and Eve. And he calls out and says, where are you? Where are you? And they're hiding. It's extraordinary. The whole thing has turned now. You know, there is such an insatiable desire which we are just eating stones to try and, you know, assuage a thirst that we are trying to, to sate. You know, that actually what we're doing is that we are all going through life saying, where are you? If I can just get that job, if I can just get that house, if I can just get that woman, if I can just get that husband, if my kids can, and I often say they get in the same school, in, in the right school, because this is an area for St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. The soul is already in agony. Which is why we fill our lives with so much clutter and distraction. Restless for God. Let's have the band up. 
So my question to you is, how is your soul? Are you eating stones? <laughs>